0: it was my cross you bore so I could Your grace goes on and on, and I will sing of your goodness forever. Salt.
1: turn in your bibles to uh matthew 21 matthew 21 today is palm sunday You might not know what that is or what that represents. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a minute. Matthew 21, this is the story of Jesus' triumphal entry when he comes into Jerusalem. As far as a time frame goes, less than a week after this, entering the city, he would be crucified, and then three days later, rise from the grave. How many of you have trouble sometimes understanding Scripture when you read it? Is there Anybody? I want to give you one tip that I do that I was taught that really helps me and I pray that it does you but um, when you are reading a passage of scripture, all right you need to do a lot of noticing okay that's my tip do a lot of noticing. Don't just say, what does this mean? How do I apply it? And that stuff right away. You've got to notice things first. Notice the things that stand out. Notice the things that cause you this asking. I wonder what that was about, right? And then after you notice, start thinking and praying for God to reveal those truths to you. Um, I want you to do some noticing as we go through this passage. Would you stand with me? We want to be people that honor God's word. We want to be people that pray, right? We want to be people that fellowship together. Everything that that verse that was brought up said in that video. Matthew 21, beginning at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the mountain of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out, to the city, out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we declare our dependence on your word and what you do and what you have done. Father, speak to us through it, for we believe these are your words, Lord, anointed for us to hear. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts, open our eyes and ears so that we can receive it. And so that it can transform us to look more like you. Father, we love you. We give you all honor and praise. Have your way in the service, whatever you want to do, Lord. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so first thing I notice is that they were approaching Jerusalem, and they come, they come to Bethpage. So what I do is I look at where is Bethpage, and you see it's right next to Bethany, which is mentioned at the end of this passage, right? Bethany is a place where Jesus often went, and you probably recognize that because he has friends there. So we notice where Jesus is coming, and, and, and um, that leads us to ask, where is he coming from? Right? So right before this in Matthew, he tells us that, they, that Jesus was leaving Jericho. And on his way here, they had this encounter with two blind men. These blind men cry out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Now, Son of David should trigger last week's sermon, right? We know that Lord, Son of David is that messianic title, that Messiah title. Jesus stops and replies, what do you want me to do for you? We want our sight of what they cry out. And Jesus, the word says, has compassion on them and heals them. Now, you might notice the awesome miracle that Jesus does there, right? But there's something else that maybe you didn't notice. If you came to the adult Sunday school class last week, you probably did notice this thing, or you might have noticed this other thing. You see, Russ in this class asked the question, why do you think Jesus tried to hide the fact that he was the Messiah early on? He asked us that. Right? We see Jesus caution people not to tell anybody about what he's done when he heals people and who he is and everything like that. And we came to the conclusion that the timing was not right. And that's why he didn't have people going around. We also came to the conclusion that they were looking for that political uh, uh, or that military leader that, that Doug pointed out today. Somebody to free them from Rome. So if you must Sunday school, that's, that's a, a hint all right, that you should go to Sunday school or some small group, you probably didn't know this, this amazing thing that we just read here. Here, Jesus is given the messianic title in public, and he doesn't step away from it, right? He doesn't tell them, shh, don't tell anybody. No, he, he doesn't downplay it. When they cry out, Son of David, everyone in that crowd would have recognized that they were referring to him as the Messiah, and he doesn't step away from it, and accept, and instead he accepts it, and he heals them. And I imagine in that moment, the hair on the disciples' necks stood up. I wonder if they started looking at each other. I wonder if Peter looked at John and said, is it time? Is it happening? You see, the disciples were following Jesus. Many people were following Jesus, thinking he was going to become king of Israel and free them from Rome as the Messiah. That's what everyone believed. That's what everyone prayed for. That's what everyone was asking for. That's what they hoped for, right? They desperately wanted Jesus to make this declaration. This is what everything hinged on for them. They knew what Jesus was able to do. They knew some of what Jesus was able to do, right? And they wanted him to declare himself king. But he kept downplaying it. Don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. But now it happens. And instead of stepping away, he accepts it. I don't know if we can truly realize what it must have been like for them in this moment and in the moments to come, right? This is this, and Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is now crisis time. If now is the time that Jesus is going to declare himself the Messiah, it is now do or die. That's the seriousness of this. Do you get that? If he's going to proclaim himself the Messiah, or if he is going to let other people proclaim himself the Messiah, there will be a response. Rome will step in to this. There is going to be a battle. There is going to be a war that comes. Will the people accept him? Will the people crown him? Or will the authorities kill him? That's the timing that we're looking at right now. And realize... Whatever happens to him will happen to his closest followers most likely as well. It's all hitting in these moments that we read. And in this moment right here, it's do or die. And this sets the stage for the triumphal entry that he makes into Jerusalem. They must have been thrilled and they must have been terrified at the same time because people had made this claim before. And they either were shut down, killed, or rejected, right? But they know this Jesus is far different, right? Peter recognizes him as the Messiah. The next thing I noticed that I haven't really noticed before, and it ties into this, is that Jesus orchestrates this entry, the gospel writers are very concise. Whatever they give more than one or two verses to, it's something that they're, they're in particularly pointing out. And so this coverage into this background is very important. I always thought of this as Jesus just coming into Jerusalem, right? And the people just happen, happening to notice him, and they cry out and they do these things kind of by chance. But the more I, the more I look at this, the more I see his hand in this. He's orchestrating it, right? He sends his disciples to Bethphage to get these donkeys because he is orchestrating this to fulfill Scripture. Prophecy, Zechariah 9 9. We, we noticed that Bethpage already said that is right next to Bethany where the, these were two villages that were right outside of Jerusalem. They're very close to, together. And so Jesus would have known both of these places very well because he often went there. We, we know Bethany is where um, Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. Those were his closest friends, right? Jesus would have known these towns. He would have known where the donkeys were in the town and and who owned them. The people would have known him. There's probably no better place in all of Palestine that had an idea and knew the power of Jesus Christ besides the disciple than the people of these towns. They had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. I think when Jesus tells them to go grab this donkey, this this colt, He's expecting there to be a lot of commotion. He's expecting people to ask this question, what's going on? The Lord has need of it, is going to be their response. And notice what happens, right? There is this very large crowd that goes ahead of him. The crowd was not people from Jerusalem noting that he's coming, not yet, right? It was the people that were following him a large crowd from Galilee and the people from these towns that joined in, that had seen as miracles. John 12, 17 through 18 says, Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. They're telling everybody about this. How could you not tell everybody when you see somebody rise from the dead, right? Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. These are the people that now see him take these donkeys and start to ride in. Right in response, they cut down palm branches and lay them and their cloaks beneath him, before the ground, before him, and they shout, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. We're told this great commotion, this this crowd right stirs up the whole city of Jerusalem. That's saying something because the people of Jerusalem, right, would be used to large crowds. There's probably 2 million people here right now just for Passover and all sorts of things were probably happening. It was probably all sorts of commotion. The fact that the account says that this town was stirred up really says something. The word for stir here was often used to indicate things in times of like earthquakes and great upheavals. So the city is really stirred. The people are like, Who is this person, right? To which the crowds answer, is, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth in Galilee. My friends, it's begun. He orchestrated this and comes into this city, forcing this issue and making sure that there is a declaration as loud as possible, confronting the authorities, right? And all the leaders of Jerusalem, with his claim of Messiah, with his claim of kingship, the king comes. But it's not the king they wanted. They say, Hosanna, which is praise, but really it means save us, right? I beg you to save us, son of David, Messiah. It's the king they need but not the king they were expecting. This is immediately clear when we notice what he's riding in on, right? I'm guessing it's not what the disciples expected. It's not what the disciples wanted him. They probably wanted him to ride in on a a war horse, right? They had been waiting for this moment, this very moment, and it's not how they pictured it. A donkey? Now, a donkey was a kingly animal. But it was not ridden by a king going to war. It was not something ridden by a king that was coming to conquer a city. A king who rides a donkey to the war would get slaughtered. But we understand that from last week, right? Because that's why he came. He's our king, but he's also our high priest. He didn't come to conquer like they wanted him to, like we often want him to to do. He didn't come come to conquer politically. He came to conquer sin and death and offer freedom to all peoples of the earth. Amen? This is the king that they need. We have to see this confrontational nature of this passage and understand it. Jesus is forcing the issue here. Jesus is the servant, the ultimate high priest, but he is also Lord. He's incredibly humble, incredibly compassionate in all things, right? But he is not modest in the fact that he is bold. He makes incredible claims that would have challenged everyone, right? He, he demonstrates godly authority, Did you notice verse 12? Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. He quotes Isaiah, who speaks for the Lord, but he's making the claim that this is his house. You would not, my friends, go into the temple and quote the father and call the temple my house and then rearrange the furniture unless you are saying that you had more authority than just a zealot to do so. And the only way that you would have that kind of authority is if this was, in fact, your house. That is his. Claim, this is my house. Matthew 21, 23. Look how they react. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you this authority? They recognized the authority that he was claiming. Did you notice verse 14? The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. Amazing miracles. But do you understand this? Jesus demonstrates his authority that this is his house by healing the blind and lame that came to him at the temple. You see, the blind and lame were excluded from the temple. They were not welcomed there by religious authorities, right? But Jesus changes that. He accepts them in And to prove that he has the authority to do just that, what does he do? He heals them, right? By doing this, he confronts the religious leaders. Did you see how they responded in verse 15? They were what? Indignant. They're indignant. They've seen the blind healed. They've seen the lame healed. They're indignant. They saw the wonderful signs. They were confronted by the claims of his lordship. (laughs) And who cares? The children saw it, right? And they recognized it. Some of you might be too smart in your eyes to see. Too sophisticated. I'm too knowledgeable. I know too much. But the children got it. And they shout, Hosanna to the son of David. Again, Jesus accepts their praise, the title, and does not stop them. The religious leaders recognize this and they ask Jesus, do you hear what they're saying? In other words, stop them from saying that. But Jesus doesn't. He accepts the praise. It's time. That, my friends, is how Jesus comes to every person, right? It's confrontational, it's crown me or kill me, crown me or reject me. There is nothing in the middle that is acceptable with him. As you read through the Gospels, all the claims that he makes demands a response. He's either crazy for doing all of these things in the temple, crazy for all the things that he sets and says right, or he's somebody to be bowed down to. You can value Jesus as a shepherd You can value Jesus as a friend, a father, a bridegroom, but you should, you have to accept him and recognize him as Lord before you do any of those other things. He will not be any of those things if you will not make him Lord. Either I'm your king or you're your king and you have a kingdom that's in opposition to mine. There is no middle ground, right? Throughout the scriptures, we see this, that he wants all of us. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven says, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, right? Jesus six twenty-four states, no one can serve two masters. Either you will love one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Love one and hate the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other's. Jesus will not share his throne with you. In Revelation, he spits out the lukewarm. And that's how many of us are trying to follow him today. We are trying to retain our kingship, right? You can be my savior, but I'm going to remain on the throne I'm going to decide what I want to do with my life. This is my money. This is my time. This is my will. My friends. That will not work. He will not share his throne, and he will come to you and say, crown me or reject me. Make the decision. He told his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow me, right? You want to follow Jesus, you have to die to your will, to your way, period. I know there are people in here that think that's extreme. You like Jesus, you admire him, you pray to him sometimes, right? But you don't like this idea that he has to be the center of your life and everything must revolve around him. You want Jesus to do things for you, but you will not make him Lord. And I bet it doesn't work for you. And I bet it's extremely frustrating for you. You see, Jesus isn't magic. One of the weirdest stories in the Bible, I think it's kind of funny, is found in Acts 19. Paul is planting churches. He arrives in Ephesus, spends two years establishing this church. And in verse 11, it says that God used him to do extraordinary miracles. There were these men, though, that saw this. And they see Paul doing this. And so they decide, we're going to try these things out for ourselves. They're called the seven sons of Siva, who was a Jewish priest at that time. They tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus uh, uh, on this guy who, who had a demon inside of him. Well, that evil spirit replied to these men and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know of, but who are you? And that man with that spirit inside of him proceeded to beat those men bloody, and those men ran away naked. My friends, let that be a reminder to us today that the power of Jesus is not magic. It's not something that you can just invoke and call on the name of Jesus to get what you want. It's not a spell that you add to something that you mention in your prayers so that your prayers come true. No, it is unless you submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, right? There is no power. When we ask for things in Jesus' names, that means we must be aligned to the Father's will. Jesus submitted himself in every way to the Father. He was all about the Father's business. He said, I don't even speak what I want to speak. It's all about him. And my friends, when we pray in his name, we need to be like Jesus and submit ourselves to the Father as well. If you're finding yourself asking him to do something for you, but you're not surrendered to him, you're not obeying him, then you're probably treating it like magic but it doesn't work that way and you're probably frustrated and you wonder why he doesn't seem to answer you in the way you're asking. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. Crown me or kill me. And my friends, that how that's how he comes to us. Crown me or reject me. Make the choice. You can't serve two masters. He will not force you to bow. He comes gentle, not to conquer people or cities, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Why should you bow down? Because he lays down his life for you and I. He lays down his life for my sins, for your sins. He comes gentle. To be gentle means to become be vulnerable, to be defenseless. Why is Jesus doing this? Because he loves us. Because he wants a relationship with us. And he wants us wants to be able to offer us that, but we have a problem of sin that needs to be taken care of. That's what he offers in his death. That's what his blood pays for. It is the atonement for our sins, for those who accept him, for those who call on his name and claim him as Lord and Savior. That's what's available to us. He comes riding lowly, gentle. John 1 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Colossians 2 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form talking about Jesus. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us, but while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't say, get it cleaned up and then come to me. While we are still sinners, he died for us. Praise team, would you make your way up here? Just about every religion recognizes that we mess things up. The hurtful things that we do to each other and ourselves come from servants putting their will before the Father's will. We put what we want before God the Father's will. We have our own throne. Instead of bowing down to His, we play God. Other religions send messengers to tell them to stop doing that. It's wrong. You shouldn't do that, right? But Christianity says that's just a band aid. That will not help. In Christianity, the king comes and puts himself in the place of the servant where we should be, and he receives the wages of our sins. He takes the cup of God's wrath and pays the price so that we can find forgiveness and freedom for all our guilt and shame why bow down because that's what he's done for us that's what we recognize during this season right if he would have been the messiah they wanted think about how that would have turned out right if he would have rode in on that war horse and simply conquered rome and freed israel what would we do with all our guilt and shame we'd be bearing it today what would we do to rid ourselves of desperately trying to be good enough so that we can earn our way to God, to prove to God that we deserve to be His, but always come up short? My friends, we'd be in bondage and slavery still today if He didn't come writing gently. And that's why we recognize And praise him today. Amen? Why bow down? Because he's Lord. Because he took our place and died for us so that we could be reconciled to God. My only hope is in that. That is the only hope I have. My only hope is being seen in Christ when the Father looks at me. I have nothing to offer him except for my gratitude, except for to surrender my will to him and be obedient. My friends, will you join me in praising him? Would you stand up or bow down to him? We're going to sing a song. And I pray this is a time where we do bow down in our hearts to him and acknowledge him as Lord in whatever way that he speaks to us about, right? Here's my phone. How are my entertainment choices? Am I surrendered to his will about what I watch on here and what I do on here? I thought I had a wallet. I do have a wallet. How are your financial choices? Is Jesus Lord of your finances? Or is this your money, and you'll do with it what you want to do? Husbands, are you cherishing your wives like he calls us to do? Wives, are you respecting your husbands like you're called to do? Or is this your will? I pray that we bow down. I pray that we recognize him as Lord over everything, whatever that means for you today. I pray that we offer him a hallelujah, a hosanna, right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All I have to offer him is praise and obedience. Amen. Amen. Recognize as King and Lord, I pray that this is a season of worship for us. And I pray that we're reminded you can't worship someone you don't bow down to. And whatever way he calls you to, I pray that you finally are able to let go of whatever it is you're holding on to. I promise you he's got something so much better for you if you do. Amen. Father, I thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you that it is a praying church. It is a church that loves you. But Father, I pray that we would be a church that worships you and bows down to you in every way. Father, sanctify us, set us apart, fill us with your spirit, Lord, and set us out into this world to be used by you, Lord. Let us be about your will in our marriages, with our spouses, in our wallets, in our time, in our attentions, Lord, in whatever way that is, Lord. Help us to surrender to your will, Lord. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.